Hello again, friends, and welcome to the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast. My name is Matt Sapala, and I am your host. This week, I sat down with pharmacist and owner of BodyFit Training, Brunswick, Phil Grazo. Phil is a consultant pharmacist by trade, but incorporates a holistic approach to his practice. Phil acknowledges the important role that Western medicine plays in treating disease, but equally values the contribution that holistic healthcare and Eastern philosophies bring into disease prevention. As you would know, guys, my whole philosophy is centered around disease prevention and developing a quality of life so that you as an individual can thrive. Phil's practice aligns with this extremely well. During the episode, we spoke about a range of different topics, including the role that integrative medicine plays in our society. For anyone who doesn't know what an integrative doctor is, basically it's a Western medicine trained doctor who has adopted Eastern philosophies and is also a naturopath. Our healthcare system in Australia is the absolute gold standard and it's made up of great minds from Western medicine and Eastern medicine. I guess if these guys can combine more often, there's no reason why we can't strive to be the healthiest population on the planet. But that all starts with us as individuals taking ownership of our own health, which is my main mission here at Euphoria, to educate and inspire people to take ownership of their own health and thrive in their skin. Sorry I went on a little bit of a tangent there folks, but it's just because I'm extremely passionate about this topic. Phil, thank you so much for your time today mate, it was incredibly inspiring to pick your brain and share your knowledge with the Euphoria Health community. Guys, you will need to grab a pen and a paper because you're going to need to jot down a few points here. Grab yourself a cup of tea and immerse yourself in this week's episode. I'll see you on the other side. Phil Grazo, welcome to the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast, mate. Awesome to have you on. Matty, thank you very much for having me. No worries, mate. This has been a episode in the pipeline for about 12 months now. I know we were chatting and we've had things come up with the whole COVID situation. How are you going with that situation at the moment, mate? Um, yeah, going, going okay, Matt. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of challenges that uh, everyone's favourite word at the moment is um, unprecedented, so a lot of unprecedented challenges, but... Um, Mate, rolling with the punches and, and moving forward and doing the best we can on our end, mate. How, how are you coping? Yeah, definitely. I guess it is very bizarre circumstances and I'm just trying to remain positive and trying to control the things that I can control, like boosting my immune system, exercising regularly, nourishing my body with whole foods and um, yeah, just trying to stay in a positive mindset, which I think is more essential than ever before. A hundred percent, Matt. Um, you know, there's, there's very few things that we actually can control and I think that our culture and the way we are as a, as a as a species, we're sort of obsessed with controlling our environment. Um, but you're right; the only thing we really truly can control is our bodies and our minds. So, uh, I think that's a really good approach that you've got there, Matt. And you're, and you're smiling, which is really a good thing to see. Um, yeah. So, what what sort of things have you been doing um, to to get yourself through sort of a particular last couple of weeks? The past six weeks, I've sort of been preparing myself to get back into podcasting which I'm really really excited about I love connection and I know you're very much the same as me um you love making connections and you love spreading the the positivity and and your knowledge to other people to try and influence and help their lives so I'm really really excited to get through this podcast mate before we get into it talk to us a little bit about your background Phil and I know we're sitting in body fit Brunswick which is the recent venture that you've been on talk to us a little bit about what, where that idea came from and um, everything you've been up to, man. Yeah, um, so it's a great question. Um, so I've got a very uh, varied background. So my I started as a, well, I still am a pharmacist. So I completed my pharmacy degree 
uh, quite a while ago now. Um, and since that time, I've evolved uh, personally in a lot of ways um, and definitely professionally. Um, I ventured from retail pharmacy pretty quickly. I didn't really like um, trying to practice my clinical skills in a retail setting. I found that uh, very challenging to do. Uh, so I specialised and, and became a consultant pharmacist, which most people, when I tell them that, uh, stare at me quite blankly, which is understandable because there, there aren't that many of us. Uh, so in simple terms, what, what a consultant pharmacist does is we receive referrals from, from general practitioners uh, and we visit uh, patients in their home that have a lot of comorbidities. Most of them uh, are elderly. Um, and the job of a consultant pharmacist is to to review the medications that, that, that the patient is taking, essentially uh, performing sort of a, an audit function, um, but also primarily to educate them on the medications themselves, but also lifestyle factors that, uh, that influence how they got to that position, uh, how the disease will be managed, and ultimately how they're gonna end up. So, um, you know, so moving into sort of that area made me look more holistically at, at disease. And I was also really, what was really striking was the impacts that lifestyle choices had for these people throughout their 30s, 40s and 50s that really had a massive impact later in life. So um, you know, I would see a lot of people in that age group and, and some are doing exceptionally well, whilst others are you know, on 25, 30 medications, have 10 different disease states. Um, and it really makes you understand those, those small decisions that we make over a long period of time the real impacts that those have. So that sort of led me down to um, you know, a number of different paths, one of which is investing in, in this gym, uh, which is something that my wife and I have done together. I'd call it a bit of a passion project. Uh, both of I've, both Catherine and I have uh, always been into our, our, our fitness um, and you know, we wanted to do something together and we logically landed here. So. I see this as uh, under the umbrella of preventative health, um, so it's not a huge leap from what I what I do as, as my main um, profession. Um, yeah, so that in a nutshell, Maddie, that's how I got from my pharmacy degree to sitting in a gym with you today. Is what made you originally want to be a pharmacist? So my my mum's a pharmacist, so I was exposed to pharmacy from a very young age. I worked uh, in. The shop with mum on a Sunday morning as a part-time job while still at school uh, and to be honest I was only 17 just since 17 when I finished year 12 I started school quite young and I, re I really didn't know and I think that um, a lot of people you speak to might say a similar thing that it's very hard when you're 17 or 18 to really know what you want to do and what you love so I sort of by default chose pharmacy because um, it's something that I knew and I've always sort of had um, I've enjoyed health, uh, so that was an area that I was looking at. And another thing is that I really don't like um, physical contact too much. So pharmacy enabled me to get involved in health, but it's not sort of you know, as hands-on as something like nursing or or medicine or physio, for example, which are, the, are some other areas that I thought of doing. So um, yeah, so that's sort of how how it started. Um, and then as the pharmacy degree progressed, I found that I had a real passion for pharmacology in particular um, and, and also the, you know, the, the broader health, the broader approach to health um, and I, thought, I suppose understanding and going through a very clinical approach to health for me helped me understand what we're missing. So we, you know, we're very hyper-focused on certain areas of, of the health equation 
but certain other areas weren't even discussed at all. So, um, yeah, so that's sort of how I got there and, and how I progressed through that pharmacy degree over those years. Definitely. And I think, you know, Western medicine has been under the spotlight, more specifically talking about the ease of getting medications and writing prescriptions from a general practitioner's point of view. And obviously that follows into the pharmacy side of things. So how do you think the role of that Western medicine is playing in the modern day world is impacting in our health? Um, it's a a complex question. Um, I think I'm going to preface everything I say today by saying that we're very lucky to be in Australia. We've got, um, you know, one of the best healthcare system systems in the world, if not the best. Um, so, you know, so access to, to medications, access to uh, you know, qualified uh, practitioners, our hospital systems, you, you can't beat that. If, if you're going to be sick, this is the place that, uh, that you want to be. So when you get to the point of being sick, you want to be in Australia. Um, in terms of the Western health and, and you know, our sort of culture and the way we approach these things, it, it sort of is an extension of things that we see all around us in our culture, this sort of quick fix and um, you know, not, not really digging deep into the cause of, of issues. I, th- I think that extends beyond health um, and you can certainly see that in the healthcare arena. Um, it, it's part of the system that, that we have as well in that, for example, um, you know, I, I see patients that have rheumatoid arthritis, they have diabetes, they have um, issues with their heart, so that they'll be seeing a cardiologist, a rheumatologist, an endocrinologist, they're seeing all these different people that are experts in their field, but they really, they really communicate with one another. The, the collaboration, uh, if, if it's there, and a lot of the times it's not, uh, is certainly not deep enough, in my opinion. And this is just from, obviously, from the observations I've made over my 20-year career in, in pharmacy and healthcare. Um, so, yeah, so that's point, point one, I suppose. Uh, and point two, I think that in having such a good healthcare system, everything needs to be evidence-based. So, and that's a good thing. That means that I can't just come up with something in my garage and start claiming that it does certain things, and that protects us. However, um, you know, there's a flip side to that in that we get to a point sometimes or certain areas of the, the healthcare field gets to a point where if there isn't any evidence, the assumption is that something doesn't work, and that's not necessarily the case. Um, so I think that leads to sometimes a culture of being quite closed-minded, um, which is dangerous, which, as dangerous as being overly open-minded and not cautious. So um, that's sort of a, a really high-level uh, observation of what I've seen in my career. I, th- I think there's been a, sh- a change. I can see things changing, uh, particularly the last five to ten years, where to ten years ago, if you said holistic health, um, most people wouldn't know what you meant. Um, so... I think that we're, we're heading in the right direction in, in that sense, in that you know we can talk about holistic health today and most people won't uh, frown at that comment. Um, so we're, we're sort of tracking in the, or trending in the right direction, in my opinion, but yeah, a long way to go. So going back to your question, how would I describe it? I'd, you know, it's in that you know, if you're gonna be sick, you wanna be in Australia. Uh, if you don't wanna get sick, you need to take ownership of your own health. Um, and I would sort of say that to anyone who lives overseas or, or lives here and that can mean a lot of different things to different people and I suppose it'd be great to sort of delve into what that actually means and the things you can do to um, to optimize your own health um, but yeah so in terms of western health itself if, if we wanted to get into medications where you know the science behind the products that have been taken to market today are 
incredible. Uh, currently phenomenal. We, we, we're targeting cells with intracellular as well. Um, we, we, I think maybe we've spoken about this briefly in the past, um, but the reason that we do that is that, let's, let's break it down, let's go back, say, 20 or 30 years, uh, we could use like an anti-muscarinic uh, medication uh, for someone who's got a tremor, for example, in Parkinson's disease. And it's not, it, it affects a whole system in your body, and that's why you get side effects. So if you're trying to target just the tremor, um, that's great. And if you could develop a medication that specifically targets that, um, you would have less side effects. So in very simple terms, by being able to understand uh, the body on a cellular level enables us to target cells, enables us to target uh, intracellular, and in doing so become more efficient at doing what we're trying to achieve. Uh, and we've made, you know, as a, the world has, and in particular Australia, which is always up there, uh, a lot of um, groundbreaking uh, improvements, particularly in oncology and cancer therapy. Um, and autoimmune diseases in, in that sort of space. Um, so yeah, a lot of exciting stuff happening on, at that level. Absolutely, and like, uh, like we mentioned before, it, we are so lucky to be able to live in this country where our healthcare system is you know, the gold standard and having the ability to look at disease right down to the cellular and intracellular level to be able to prevent and find a cure is just incredible. And you know, I take my hat off to all the scientists and, and everyone in this health sort of realm. They're doing an, an, an incredible job. It leads me into my next question regarding you know, medications. And, and we sort of briefly touched on it before about you know the science that goes into looking at disease from a specific point of view how does the role of a pharmacist encourage the modern day use of medication in terms of targeting a specific disease when you're talking about side effects and um so the role of a, of a retail pharmacist is, is very challenging because you're only seeing a very small snapshot of of a patient so for example if you know if i'm in retail pharmacy and i'm presented a prescription for Digoxin, which is used for uh, cardiac conditions, I'm focusing on is the dose the correct dose for this patient based on their age, their gender, their weight, um, do they have any kidney problems. I'm, I'm really focused because, and I need to be, because it can be quite a dangerous medication. Um, and then you know, this particular patient might have other things going on. So you, you're very you're limited in that. There's an expectation that you provide that that medication that it's you've got to make sure that it's safe and effective etc but in terms of your capacity and your ability to thoroughly look into that patient uh, it's it's quite limited um, just because of the realities of of the system um, the a general practitioner by extension of that has a has a, a very important role in that they're the person that has that responsibility of trying to understand the patient um, if, for example, uh, we touched on earlier patients that might see three or four different specialists, all that information goes back to the GP. Uh, and they've also got challenges in that. They've got to make decisions based on bits and pieces of information that are all over the place. Um, you know, th th an expectation from the community as well that the, the system is efficient and people don't like waiting, etc. And you know, add all these things together. Um, it's not until you get into a hospital setting that you have a comprehensive, in-depth look at everything that's going on. Um, you know, so having said that, I'm not taking anything away from you know, from the role of the primary healthcare or the community healthcare system. Um, but it, as I said, it's not until you get into hospital, and by that stage, obviously something pretty terrible has happened to get you there. So, um, yeah, that that's a challenge uh, with the system and just the realities of of, of servicing such a large population um, with the resources that we have, which 
know, we, we are very fortunate to have such great resources, but there's always limitations to that. Yeah, so I'm not sure if I've uh, moved on too much of a tangent, Matty. Do I answer your question? No, I love tangents, mate. That's yeah. where all the hidden gems of information are, yeah. and you definitely hit the nail on the head there. It's it's quite funny, you know, that the expectations of GPs and pharmacists, they're expected to give you the gold standard of care with a 15-minute consultation. Also, I think that as a society, there's an expectation that we get a medication for that condition. It's both sides. Um, my, my late grandmother, for example, when she had any viral, any cold or anything like that, even though an antibiotic is useless, she wasn't content with her GP unless he gave her a shot of antibiotics. Okay, so she's always from a different era, and et cetera, but it sort of highlights that um, the, the system requires both sides um, to be where it's at, at at the moment, which is an equilibrium. Um, so education on the consumer side is most important. Another thing that I find uh, in my consultant pharmacy role, so I'll expand upon that a little bit. So I'll go into a patient's home and I do have a little bit more time. So I'm, I'm able, and we'll also have some, some privacy in that there's not another five patients waiting um, you know, in a pharmacy. There's not people buying toilet paper and other bits and pieces. It's just you and the patient. Um, and you can just go over each of their medications. And I'll, I'll, I won't go to that, um, that the called home medication review. I, I won't attend that without having reviewed the patient's profile first. I'll get that information from the GP. So this is pathology results. This is every medication they've ever been prescribed. It's, it's their history. 99% um, of the time, I'll find out things about that patient that the GP didn't know. And it's not because they hadn't done their job properly. It's because they weren't told by the patient. Yeah, so this is... Going back to taking ownership of, of your health, number one. And number two, I think it's a it's an education piece. So, for example, if I say to someone, do you take any over-the-counter medications or um, you know, what do you take that, that the doctor doesn't prescribe? They'll often not tell me about some vitamins they might take. They'll often exclude to tell me. About, and it's not because they don't want me to know. It's because they don't consider those medications. And they are. You know, they are. They, they, anything that you take that has an impact on your body um, is under the same umbrella. So you know, we've got a lot of examples of over-the-counter herbs, um, supplements having a dramatic impact on people, particularly if they're taking pharmaceutical medications. So the, the role of a GP is made infinitely harder by not having all that information. Um, so yeah, in educating education on the side of the community is, is critical um, in enabling primary healthcare, which is GPs and pharmacists and those people that are trying to keep you out of hospital to make the best decisions possible. Uh, and I'm seeing that a lot. It's, I'm actually quite surprised uh, at how high uh, that happens, how often that happens in that the information on the referral is not even close to being complete and it's because of the patients uh, not disclosing everything. There's that, there's that as well as sometimes they just don't think that it's uh, relevant. They think, oh, what's that going to do? It's, um, you know, and look, St. John's wort um, is used for depression. Uh, it actually functions in a very similar way to um, pharmaceutical uh, antidepressants. Um, if you take that with warfarin, you can die from mixing certain over-the-counter products with with pharmaceuticals. So um, I'm not sure if that's if that's well enough understood in the community. Definitely, I think yeah. there's a big gap in terms of information from. Um the holistic point of view and, and how we can incorporate our lifestyle, you know, sort of maintenance medications as well as the over the, uh, not the over the counter, the pharmaceutical medications because they do integrate and they do have a, uh, side effects on the body and they counteract each other. I think there definitely does need to be a little bit more information in that area. 
hundred percent. Yeah, and look, I think by extension, and I suppose we're going to get into that um, in a lot more depth a bit a bit later. But if we're talking about pharmaceutical products, and you know they've got a stigma to them, and that's good. You know, people are more cautious of them. Um, you know, then the supplements and, and herbs and that sort of thing. But anything you put in your body, foods, what you drink, the air you breathe, you know, everything you put in your body has an impact. Um, and you know, I think that's something that gets missed as well. In a nutshell, can you explain how pharmacists look at disease and look at administering medication? So a pharmacist's role primarily is to ensure that a medication is, is safe. Okay, that's our, our, our primary goal of a pharmacist is, is to ensure that any medicine that, that leaves that pharmacy is safe for that patient. It's the right patient at the right dose and the right medication. So if you go back to the fundamentals of, of being a pharmacist, we, we'll look at, at the training that we do, the education that we do, and um, the, the two main areas of pharmacology, which is how medications affect the body. So on a cellular level, um, you know, what, what impacts they have. Um, so that's the first one. We do four years of that. Um, compare that to, for example, a GP would only do one, depending on what course they do, but one or two years of pharmacology. So uh, pharmacists become experts in what impact does a compound have on the body um, and second to that how does the body handle that medication which is pharmaceutics so that means if if i take a medication how long does it take until my body starts absorbing it how quickly does it absorb it how does my body metabolize it so that that is the expertise of a pharmacist it, it is what is the what is the compound how does it work and how does the body respond to it so we we apply that expertise to prescriptions that uh, a GP so the GP, GP's expertise is in diagnosing disease uh, and deciding on a treatment course so uh, that's sort of how the two fit in with that obviously there's a lot of overlap in that uh, but that's the pharmacist's role to make sure to in a way make sure that the, the GP's logic is sound and that the medication is the right choice but primarily is that medication safe for that patient is it the right dose at the right time that's in a very in very simple terms, mate. That's that's a pharmacist. And in your experience, has there ever been positions where you've disagreed with the GP's logic in terms of the medication prescribed and what course of action did you take? Yeah. So that that's um, if you speak to any pharmacist, they'll, they'll tell you that's probably the one of the most challenging parts of of our job in that having those conversations with GPs. Um, most most GPs are great about it. Um, you know, obviously there's. GPs are human, and there's egos involved. Um, so often, th- there'd be some. There's a minority of GPs that d- don't like being challenged at all, uh, but but most are quite receptive to it. And you know, th- there have been occasions where you pick up. Like I've personally picked up doses that would be lethal in in people. Um, just honest mistakes. You know, we're all human, and that's why the system is set up that way. And the, you know, the GP has their role. That's why you don't see GPs p- dispensing. Um, the role has to be separated. Uh, for that reason, so um, those conversations are, are varied. They're they're often colourful um, with GPs, but they're they're definitely necessary, and they they happen more than you think, particularly the dose. And what course of action do you take when when faced with that sort of experience? If there's something, if if there's a compound that I believe um, is dangerous, I won't dispense it. So if I'm unable to reach um, an agreement with the GP, I, I won't I won't I won't put someone in in harm. In harm's way, so um, yeah, I mean that hasn't happened very often over over my nearly twenty year career. But um, the onus is on on the pharmacist in that role to make sure that no harm comes to that patient 
based on that decision. So yeah, Bournemouth's at the last line of defence. Um, and then obviously things slip through occasionally when a pharmacist, being human, might miss something as well or not do the right checks or select the wrong thing from the from the shelf. But um, that's what we're trained to do, to make sure that doesn't happen. A lot of the time, the, the, the public will say, what's the pharmacist doing back there? You know, you'll present a prescription and the pharmacist, you know, you can see the product and you're thinking, well, what? Just give it to me. It's, it's right there. But um, you know, we'll, we'll, the pharmacists will be going. They'll be checking your history. What other medications you're taking? They might have further questions for you. You know, for example, if you're a 75-year-old frail um, lady, um, you know, I'll, immediately I'll be start thinking of you know, what, how much do you weigh? You know, is this dose too high for you? Um, you know, you're in your 70s. Are your kidneys functioning normally? You know, I spoke earlier about understanding how your body responds to a compound so everything we put in our body is broken down and that either happens in the liver or the kidneys or a combination of both um, so before it gets to that point your, your stomach breaks down some of it but once it gets into the bloodstream um, your kidneys and your liver are what clean the compounds out so if those aren't functioning at optimal capacity then that compound is going to behave differently in you than in someone else so we, we have to go through this whole process of okay is, it, is this compound the right dose to start with and is this person's body going to respond to it in the right way so they're not in harm? So we're going through this whole process of doing that and then when you add to that, that person might be taking four or five other things that affect the kidneys, that affect the liver, that cross the blood-brain barrier that could affect their mindset, um, the, the level of uh, mental awareness, all that sort of thing. It, it is a complex thing. So it might just be one compound but we're going through a whole series of checks. You know, we're, we're checking all those things at, at once. So that's why it takes so long, um, because yeah, these these things can any drug, any medication, any compound, anything you put in your body at a high enough dose can be lethal. Definitely, and I guess for on that note as well, it'd be great to for the listeners at home to understand what happens when we take a capsule of, you know, for example, paracetamol or some other more lethal. Um, medications can you explain that process from once you know from we start to digest the the medication yeah. put you yeah. on the spot again for yeah, no, actually, this, I, mean, I, I love that question because that's um i was actually really good at, at this at, at uni i really enjoyed it so, <laughs> um, yeah so you, you would take something I mean, orally is obviously the most common way we take something um, and then our stomach is very acidic so that's used to our advantage in that um medication capsules and tablets are designed to break down in that environment and start releasing the, the compound. Um, some medications will, will dump the dose, so the dose will be immediately released in your stomach and absorbed straight away. Others have controlled release in that it'll break down gradually as it moves through your stomach and your intestines. Um, and that's done by design. So if we want something to have an immediate impact, like let's say for example, you've got a headache, you want that compound to work as quickly as possible that's not going to be given to you as a controlled release product. It's going to be given to you as an immediate release. So that, that medication will enter your stomach um, and that degradation process will start where the, the tablet itself is broken down and um, the constituents will start to be released. Uh, and then you'll absorb varying amounts of that uh, through the stomach lining into your bloodstream. Uh, and then it'll pass through your liver. Okay, so it's going through the stomach and... Um, and the liver, and um, that'll be the first round. So the liver will, if it's a medication that's highly metabolized by the liver, you will lose some of the dose there. So there are examples of, of some medications you take where you'll lose 
as much as 70% of the dose before it starts impacting its target. And we know that in advance, and obviously the dose is calculated accordingly. But if we've got someone who has uh, a liver that's not eff effective, obviously they'll need a lower dose in that particular example because the liver will break down less of it on that first pass. Uh, and then the medication will continually cycle through the body, through the bloodstream, um, and break down, so we call it a half-life um, of a medication. That's the amount of time it takes for the dose to halve, um, and then it'll keep halving and halving and halving and eventually diminish. So uh, a medication that has a half-life of 24 hours is going to be in your body for a very long time because half of it will still be there after a day and then 25% will be there after two days and then 12.5% after three days etc so after a week you'll be able to detect um, some of that um, marijuana is uh, not a pharmaceutical compound yet um, or it is in some circles but that has a very long half-life and that's why um, when they test people's hair follicles they can find traces of marijuana after a month even so um, you know, it just shows that, that the behavior of different medications. Um, and then, so that's how the body um, metabolizes and eliminates that compound. Now, as it's circling around the body, that's where it has its impact. So if it's going to be a medication that affects your blood pressure, and it's one that works on your arteries by relaxing them, um, each time it passes through, it'll connect to um, receivers, not called receivers, I've completely forgot the, the, the medical term for them, um, but yeah, it will connect and it will create uh, an impact in those cells. Um, and it will do that around and around and around throughout the half-life of that medication. So hopefully that makes Yeah, makes absolutely. Sense. Yeah. I think there'll be some people glued to their uh, podcast trying to draw the system of how the body yeah. metabolizes medication. Hopefully, you know, it, um, it inspires a few people to take further action. And what role does medicinal marijuana play in the body and how is it absorbed? Um, so, it, the absorption depends on uh, the route of delivery, but uh, let's assume you're taking it orally, so it would be absorbed um, you know, through your gastrointestinal system, most likely through um, your your stomach and, and small intestine, majority of it. Um, and then after that point in time, um, it'll find its way uh, into your bloodstream uh, after passing through the liver, uh, and then medications that work in the brain need to cross the blood-brain barrier, uh, which um, CBD would, um, just because of uh, its, its structure. Um, and then once in, inside the brain, it actually works on uh, CBD receptors. So our brain uh, actually has receptors for uh, these particular compounds. Um, medicinal marijuana is um, processed in such a way where the psychoactive component which is THC is removed um, and we're left with just the um, cannabidiol, cannabidi oh, I can never say this word properly, cannabidiol which is CBD uh, and that is the compound that acts on those receptors in the brain um, and elicits the, those effects. So um, there's currently a lot of evidence and a lot of work being done on its impact on uh, a number of different diseases. It's been shown to help uh, with epilepsy uh, and anxiety. Um, it's often used uh, in oncology uh, slash cancer uh, wards for, um, it can help with appetite, but it can also help with, with pain. It's analgesic. Um, and there's also some, some studies at the moment for identifying whether it has a, a role to play in, in the management of schizophrenia and irritable bowel disease. Um, there's also a lot of um, 
studies at the moment to see if it can help with uh, opioid dependence and, and other kinds of addictions uh, in the process of withdrawing from those other compounds. So um, a lot of really important uh, conditions um, and so far a lot of the evidence is, uh, is really positive. So um, you'll be seeing it a lot used a lot more um, and in a lot more varied situations. It's interesting because I was thinking back to year 10 health class, it was often um, obviously different uses of the marijuana itself, but it was used as a gateway drug and that was sort of the, the lead into other, dabbling in other sort of drugs as well. Now it's very, very interesting to see that that actually can have an adverse effect and, and help with the... Um, help with people that are dependent on other sorts of drugs withdraw from it if that's what yeah I think that well that's that's a really good point um, I think with addiction is something that we could spend 10 hours talking about but just really really briefly so addiction um, there's two kinds of addiction there's um, physical addiction so physical addiction is when um, you'll have a physiological response when the, the, the compound is withdrawn um, so you'll often see um, you know in, in on TV and movies or in that sort of thing when someone's withdrawing from something like heroin or, or ice or some other really powerful drug that you know they're sweating and they're shaking and you can you can see that they're in extreme pain so that's the body responding that's your, your physical dependence um, playing out in withdrawal um, but and that's that's easy, actually easier to treat because you can numb that down and um, the, the harder thing to treat with addiction is the psychological component um, because obviously it's rooted in people's subconscious and there's often um, triggers right back to, to childhood or, or, or other areas. So, um, yeah, so that's the area that, um, that when they talk about marijuana being a gateway drug, it's more on, the, on that side in that um, yeah, it depends on your reason for using it. So if you're using it to escape, um, you know, that might set up a pattern of behaviours that will result in you ending up using harder drugs. Um, if you're using it just to have a bit of fun, you know, it's probably it does. It's no different to alcohol um, in that way. So, um, you know that that I've heard that a lot, and, and I would argue that alcohol is a bigger gateway drug than marijuana, um, just because it's so readily available. And we're seeing a little bit more awareness in terms of the dangers of, of alcohol consumption. But um, yeah, I think you know, I think a lot of people would agree with me on that. That um, that they make different decisions after they've had alcohol and. Um, you can't call marijuana a gateway drug without calling alcohol a gateway drug at the same time. So, um, yeah, so yeah, to go back to your original point, um, it would be the CBD component of marijuana, which is not psychoactive. Um, that would, um, well, that's what they're proposing that they use as part of that withdrawal, the physical withdrawal um, from other types of addictions. Where do you see the, the use of medicinal mar marijuana in Australia in the next five years? Um, logic, logic tells me that it's going to become uh, more and more available in certain settings. So you're not going to see it all over the place. It's not going to be something that you can just go up to your GP and, and get um, because for whatever reason, um, there'll be specific reasons. So at the moment, you need to get the, the, the GP needs to have certain uh, accreditation and they need to get permission each time. So it's highly controlled, which is good. Um, I think those controls will loosen up a little bit, but I still don't think um, it's going to be everywhere so in, in, I suppose I'll expand on that a little bit so all our medications in Australia are scheduled depending on a number of different factors but it's mainly got to do with how potentially harmful they can be and harm can fall under two categories one is the actual harm they can do to your body um, but the other is how liable to abuse they are as well so schedule schedule eight medications um, like opioids certain opioids 
uh, they're stored in a safe. You, the pharmacy gets regularly audited uh, and there's certain medical conditions you can prescribe them for. So I think um, medicinal marijuana will fall. If not, Schedule 8 might even even be higher than that. Uh, it'll never be Schedule 4, which is the main prescription. So you know, 90% plus medications that are prescribed to you are Schedule 4, which is um, pharmacist only. Before we go any further, I want to get your perspective and your definition on what holistic healthcare looks like. I'm loving your challenging questions. Always with so, the hard-hitting yeah, questions, yeah, mate. Very, yeah. <laughs> so I think, in my in my opinion, and I've found, you know, as I've gone through this journey and spoken to people of different backgrounds and different cultures and different levels of education, that any time we get into this kind of area, a lot of it is something that they knew, they know, but they didn't know, if you know what I mean. It's intuitive. So it's something that is there somewhere that just needs to be brought to the surface. surface. So I think... Um, we all have an intuition about what's good for us. We all know what makes us feel good, not just something that makes us temporarily feel good. We all know the kinds of activities that are wholesome and good for us. So I think holistic health is sort of aligning our conscious lives with what we know in our unconscious lives um, is, is good for us. You know, it's fundamentally, if we, you know, we can really easily overcomplicate this kind of conversation, but I think fundamentally it's about understanding yourself as a human being and what's good for you um, and that that will enable you to do the, what's necessary to achieve a good state of health yeah. i think that's a absolutely amazing definition there matt and you love you touch on the word consciousness which i think is such a relevant point we are so unconscious in our everyday life we sort of go through the motions we don't listen to our bodies like we touched on before our bodies are incredible beings and they know they send us signs when we're hungry they tell us when we're tired they know how to restore themselves they're incredible so if we can start listening to our body a little bit more it simplifies the game a little bit 100 percent. i think we you know it's it's, a, it's also it's the biggest gift that we have our, our, our minds um you know but in a lot of ways it's um it's our biggest challenge i won't call it a curse i'll, I'll call it a challenge it's um you know, I, I became a father 40 months ago, which is, is incredible. Um, but you know, my, my son, within moments of being born, was he knew how to breathe. He knew that he needed sustenance. You know, he started breastfeeding w- within a couple of hours. Um, that's just nature. You know? and, and you look at um, it's not, not just babies, but you know, in, in animals and species that don't overthink things. Um, and they survive. And they know what to do. And they know what's dangerous. And they know what's good for them. And it's intuition. And, and we have that. And I think that modern, the way we live now and um, the things that we're surrounded by have pulled us further and further away from our natural state. And you know, that, that's, that's fundamentally, in my opinion, um, the issue the issue that needs to be tackled. Amazing, Phil. I love that definition there, mate. Now, we touched on it before and we're actually sitting in BodyFit HQ at the moment. You explained a little bit about your journey into, into BodyFit. For anyone that doesn't know, can you explain what BodyFit is? Um, so BodyFit Training is um, a training system developed by Cameron Falloon. Uh, Cameron Falloon is a strength and conditioning uh, guru. He's worked with three AFL clubs, uh, Geelong, Port Adelaide, and I think the Western Bulldogs. Um, he's also, um, his claim to fame is that he trained Princess Diana many, many moons ago when he was working in the UK in the Premier League. Um, so this is a system that he's developed. He's it's based off his experience training athletes and, and getting them ready for competition. Um, so that's sort of where the programming comes from. So for that, from that level of 
expertise. Um, I, I, I had a, when Catherine and I, and Catherine's my wife, when, when we were sort of looking at which fitness business to get involved with, because you know I'm, I'm from a healthcare background, my wife works at Deloitte as a management consultant, so you know, we needed to be part of a larger group because jumping into a new, a new industry without that would have been a silly move. So we were looking through the various different brands and met with, um, with Richard uh, Burnett, who's Camphalin's business partner, and really loved the way they approach these uh, approach trainings. It's a really balanced training program. Um, the, the program itself covers uh, our anaerobic system, our aerobic system, uh, it works through progression and regression blocks, which is uh, how professional athletes train to avoid plateauing out too quickly. Um, I also was really impressed with the, the values of, of their business. So they're, they're very family orientated. So um, that's sort of the reason why Catherine and I decided to align ourselves with, with this particular brand um, before we started. And now I haven't been involved with the brand that, that hasn't changed in terms of my regard for the, uh, the operators. Um, and you know, sort of getting involved with it, I've, I've become more appreciative of, of the little things, the intricacies of this training program. So um, it's functional training in that the kinds of things that we develop when we train here are things we use in everyday life. For example, um, it helps me pick up my son now that he's getting big um, in the right manner and helps me move things around the house. Um, and, but I could also use um, the foundations to, to play sport as well. So. Um, yeah, so that's sort of the journey into, into body fit training and uh, a very high level understanding and, uh, of what I see um, in the product itself. Maddie, you've, you've done a few sessions here in the past. How have you found, how have you found them? Yeah, following on from what you said, Phil, I, um, I couldn't agree with more. The, the programming of body fit itself is top standard for whether you're a professional athlete or whether you're stepping into the gym for the first time. It's very... Um, not specifically targeted to one sort of demographic of an athlete. So I think that's really versatile in that aspect. And I also really, really love the community aspect. I'm huge on incorporating everyone under this fitness umbrella and wellness umbrella and making them feel like they're pushing themselves and doing what they need to thrive in that field. And I think that it all begins from a community aspect. So it's more than just group training. It's more than just coming in and getting a sweat for 45 minutes. You're coming in, you know, you're... You're creating healthy competition between people. You're seeing your mates. You're exercising, and you're benefiting your health in at the same time. So I think that yeah. from a group training perspective and from a uh, lifestyle medicine perspective, it's it's gold standard, mate. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And I suppose I wouldn't mind expanding on on group training uh, as a comp as a um, as a methodology. Um, and and you did mention that. So that that sense of community. So. You know, going back to some of the previous things we've discussed, um, the sense of community is something that we've lost. You know, for example, I, I don't know, I don't know my next door neighbour. I've never met her. I've seen her get Uber Eats every now and then, but you know, <laughs> rewind not that long ago. Um, you know, my 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 family's from from Sicily. Every, everybody knew each other, and you know, I'm not saying one system is better than the other, but you know, what's clear is that we sort of lost touch with one another. Uh, and group training enables us to feel a sense of belonging. So we've got a really strong community here. Friendships are forged, um, you know, even and it's been, been particularly evident during these lockdowns because people have been become more isolated than normal, uh, and they're yearning for some form of contact. So we've we've taken our classes online. Um, we've got a sensational head trainer here, Davey, who 
um, lifts everybody's spirits. He's one of those enigmatic personalities that, um, that you need in your life. So he's been able to keep people motivated throughout lockdown one um, and lockdown two, which I'm personally finding more challenging. Um, and I'm hearing a lot uh, of that from uh, people I've spoken to and from the community. So um, yeah, that sense of community is something that is really critical and why group training is so uh, so popular. Um, and it does help with your health because to be healthy, you have to have strong relationships, um, interpersonal relationships, relationship with, you, with yourself, with your community. They're, they're all critical. Yeah, I could not agree more, mate. I love it. And, you know, touching again on our um, role of lifestyle medicine and preventative medicine, how does exercise and all those things that we spoke about before, communication, connection, relationships, all fall under that, you know, lifestyle medicine and holistic health practice? How, how does it fall? Um, well, I mean, exercise itself releases endorphins. I mean, I, I haven't, unless you get injured, if you're doing something, if, if there's an accident or if you're doing something incorrectly, everybody feels amazing after they exercise. And, and it's not just because there's a, there's a chemical scientific reason for it in that your body releases feel-good hormones. Um, you, you're, you're able to focus for that period of time. You know, you're, you're not worrying about your job. You're not worrying about your relationship. You're not worrying about anything else. It's just you know, sort of you and, and that particular activity. And, and that is a form of meditation in that you know, you're purely focused. The, your mind... Your mind's faded away. So I think that that exercise in its own right, whether you're a runner or you want to do group training or whatever you do, getting moving and focusing on your breathing and focusing on something is incredibly powerful um, in in calming your mind. Um, I'm sure you would agree. Yeah, absolutely. We're, in, uh, we're incredible beings and we try and often take on multiple roles at the same time. So I guess having that ability to disconnect for 45 minutes and just focus on one task is extremely um, uplifting and, and it's... Um, yeah, it, would, it brings your awareness in, into that present moment. And, you know, that's, that might sound fluffy to some people, but that is the key really. It's you know, in, in anything that we do, if we can be fully immersed in it, we're going to be a lot better at it. We're going to enjoy it more um, and we're going to be healthier and happier for it. Um, so, you know, the exercise itself is fantastic for, for your health. Um, and I did mention, touched on it earlier, that you know, being, being part of a community and connecting with people is absolutely critical. You're not going to find um, too many people that, in isolation, that, that would rate their happiness higher than this time last year. Um, you know, and I think going through you know, this, this COVID-19 crisis is, is, is horrendous in so many different ways, but I think it's given us opportunities to reflect and, and see things you know, from different perspectives um, and you know, having been forced into isolation, I think is, is a big one. You know, it's, mental health is uh, at crisis point. Um, I think that you know, we, we're definitely seeing a huge focus on the data regarding COVID cases and deaths and that sort of thing. It's creating anxiety and other, other issues, but the, the mental health toll is something that's not quantifiable at this stage. Uh, and that is a big concern of mine, I think, um, that yeah, that's going to be the, the next phase, the, the, the next wave of, of issues that hit our society. Um, it's, it's, really, it's really interesting, uh, Matty, because I've been thinking about this a lot, um, particularly the last couple of weeks um, since I was forced to shut uh, the business again. Um, COVID-19 is a very serious virus. Um, you know, we faced with a, a really big challenge to, to make sure that it doesn't uh, get out of control and, and sort of affect those most vulnerable people in our population, the, you know, the, the elderly people and, and children and uh, even younger people now. There's, there's some people in their 40s that um, 
the, you know, the, a near death, so you know, I'm not taking anything away from the seriousness of it. Um, but what I can see is that um, you know, f- for a number of different reasons, we're all extremely hyper-focused on the COVID data. You know, I'm, I, me, myself, I wait every day for the Premier to get up at 11 or 11.30 and, and tell me how many new numbers there were yesterday and how many people are, are dying and how many in ICU. You know, and, that, and that's great because you know, having that data, I think, helps um, helps with decision making. Um, it helps people understand the gravity and the fact that we're the situation is getting worse. But uh, I've never seen any other um, healthcare condition um, treated in the same way or anywhere near it. Um, and whilst we're sort of all focused and, and overwhelmed with fear on on COVID, our health we can't just press pause on our health. You know, we've pressed pause on our economy. We've pressed pause on if the footy season started again, we prep pause on things all around us. We can't do that with our health. And um, you know, some data coming out um, this week showing that um, diagnosis of things like breast cancer and prostate cancer and other really highly um, deadly diseases is down 30 to 40 percent. And that that doesn't mean that 30 to 40 percent less people are becoming ill. It means that they're not being detected, and they're not being detected because those people are too scared to leave their homes or um, you know the healthcare system and um, you know, community are so hyper focused on on COVID, COVID, COVID that we're forgetting that there's a whole other part to this um, you know so you know, that, that, that data is really powerful um, and that's a really big concern that not just I have that a lot of people in, in sort of healthcare are sharing at the moment that um, this kind of hyper focus on, on COVID is at the expense of um, a holistic approach to health and all the other things that could possibly be going wrong. Um, so the, you know, those cancer diagnoses are just two examples, but you know, it's really easy to extrapolate based off that, that that's happening across the board with things like diabetes and um, you know, other cardiovascular diseases. Uh, and then the other, the other thing that you know, that's not spoken about enough is the mental health toll that all this is taking. So you know, in, in many ways, um, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm um, being in any way dismissive of the struggles and hardships that um, you know, that our grandparents went through during during war times, but you know, it's very similar for us in terms of how we're, um, as a community, how we're adapting to, to what's going on in terms of the levels of anxiety and fear and you know, economic hardship and scarcity and all these kinds of things that, uh, that we're immersed in is very similar to what um, you know, people that have been through hardships related to war would have been feeling. So, um, you know, really, really big concern of mine is that the impact that that's going to have in the medium term, um, but also in the short term and something that's being pushed aside because there's this perception that it's not as important as COVID and, you know, that's very dangerous thinking. Definitely. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of media attention around this one deadly virus that is definitely needs the attention that it's getting but I think that we've sort of like you said pressed pause on all the other health conditions and they're still out there they're just not being as focused on in the media and I, I was chatting the other day to to one of my good friends who is a naturopath and and we were both discussing about the role that the media plays in in the um, broadcast of all these things and how the fear is at the main centre of all this situation and and we were chatting about how if there was for example a condition that got enough airtime, for example like tonsillitis would we still react in the same way where we would disregard com- completely all other illnesses and and not take action towards pre- preventative approaches to avoid 
you know, contracting these sorts of diseases. Yeah, well, I, I agree a hundred percent. I don't, I don't know of. I'm not in my lifetime. Uh, I've never seen this kind of um, attention and, and sort of in, in, a, in a lot of ways it's blind attention being paid to a very serious threat, but but one of many. Um, I th- you know, I don't, I don't know the, the, start, the, the, the stats off the top of my head, but um, you know, su- suicides this year, um, you know, the, the number of people that have committed suicide this year would be much larger than in any way saying that, um, you know, diminishing the, the, the dangers of COVID. The reason why we only have 100 deaths is because of the steps that have been taken with lockdowns and social distancing, etc. So the, the death toll would be much larger than that. However... Um, you know, going back to to the point, uh, you know, we, with this hyper focus and all this, all the resources being deployed to COVID, these other things are getting missed. So, you know, mental health is a huge one. You know, we mentioned cancer, but um, you know, it's the, the whole host of other things that um, that are slipping under the radar. And you know, there's going to be a, a additional health crises potentially after this. Um, and it comes down to each of us. I suppose trying to get to gain some perspective um, at the same time as being careful and wary of, of the dangers and risks of COVID, but um, you know that we've still got to take ownership for our health um, and well-being and those other things that they don't stop. You know, there's still skin cancer is another one that diagnoses are down on. Um, you know, we need to be extremely careful at this point in time. Um, and you know, I just feel in, in many ways this must have, that's a human nature thing in that. We we sort of designed to focus on the loudest thing in the room or the loudest thing, and and it takes all our attention away. Um, you know, and, and the healthcare system you know, is is sort of is similar in a way in that we we focus on one thing uh, rather than the holistic uh, the holistic systems that are going on. So um, yeah, really concern it really concerns me. Um, you know, the, the way the community is responding. Yeah, and we touched on it before about the the effects post-COVID and when life starts to get back to some normality, if there is, or if we've developed a new normal and, and how that can have a have an effect on uh, the population with those diagnoses going back up and, and, and how we look at all sorts of diseases again. Because it's a known fact now that every disease that comes up, we're going to look at it in a different light based on the attention that COVID is happening. How do you think that that's going to play a role from the general population and, and, and what sort of actions can we take to ensure that we're not you know, living in a, a state of fear for the rest of our life? Because as we know, the evidence suggests that living in an anxious fight-or-flight situation is the breeding ground for disease. It's a, it's a hard one to manage, maybe, because you know, the, these threats are real and you know, with, with lockdowns and, and stuff, it's, you know, it, 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 there's, people have a, um, a justifiable reason to feel anxious. Um, however, having said that, you're right. You know, cortisol is released during these stressful times, and um, you know it's it, it's one of the most dangerous chemicals that uh, our body produces, and it does uh, also. Um, interestingly, I mean, it's at a time where you want you you want to be able to fight off a virus if you get it, but by being stressed and anxious, we're actually weakening our immune systems. Um, so, yeah, look, it's it's a hard one, and I think it's an individual one because I think. Everybody's sort of at different levels of risk, but um, you know, taking ownership of of your own health is more important than ever. Um, and immersing yourself in things that enrich you, so in a, in a hobby or even if it's just spending time with your loved ones. For me, my my um, saving grace is my my son because he's just so so innocent, and spending time with him t- takes me fully away from 
everything that's going on. Um, but what I will say is I don't know what the solution is for each, each individual person, but not to ignore it, that be aware that at the moment, because of the media, because of what's going on, because pretty much every conversation you have with your family and friends is centred around this singular threat. Um, because of that, we, you know, other things and other issues and other areas of your life are fading away a little bit um, and just become conscious of that. That's the first step and have a think about what impacts that's having to you now and what impacts that, that could have to you in the future and uh, if there are any things you can do personally to, to address that and try and um, soften that blow because it's real and you know it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. Definitely and I think you know it's really a great reflective time for people to start thinking about how they can put their health first because at the end of the day there is nothing more important than your health and the health and well-being of your family so thinking about ways that you can adapt your lifestyle to yeah incorporate more of the preventative approach post-COVID. 100%, yeah. I think now's the time to learn it. Um, you know, and we've, we do have more time on our hands because there's not really much to do um, apart from that, apart from reflect. So, um, you know, without putting too much pressure on yourself, definitely take the opportunity to do that process and at least become aware uh, consciously of, um, of what's going on and how you're responding and, you know, when you put the news on, the feelings that you have and why you have them and is it entirely necessary for you to... To be consuming so much, uh, so much fear because uh, it is very de- detrimental. And I guess at this point in time, it's it's a really great opportunity for people to start investing in their own health and taking avenues to how they can better their quality of life and prevent disease. And I think it's really been a great time for people to reflect on those on those sort of issues that are arising and, and signs and symptoms that they may have seen in their own body. What is your advice for someone looking to, you know, better their health and take that first step, whether that be supplements to take to boost their immunity, lifestyle approaches to take to boost their immunity? I think a st- starting point would definitely be just to, to consciously have a look um, and take stock of how the decisions they're making, the you know, foods that they're eating. Um, so you just have a look over the last four to six weeks um you know objectively and have a look at what you've been doing with yourself and what you've been eating who you hang around with how much time you spend on your phone all that that kind of stuff because i think you need a you need a baseline understanding before you can um progress forward uh, although and having said that we intuitively know what's good and bad for us but we also need to be careful not to change too much at once because that's also not sustainable um, and not a great approach so my advice would be to work out where you're at without judging yourself because uh, judge, judging yourself will push you backwards. Um, so objectively having a look at where you're at um, and then picking one thing um, and improving that and then having a plan to progressively work through the things and, and adding some priority as well. So if there's something in your life that's really affecting you, that's affecting your relationships, that's you know, upsetting you, making you miserable, make that number one. You know, really start with how those things make you feel, not the order you think they should be in. I love that, mate. And any supplements that people can take to boost their immunity? Obviously, the vitamin C gets a lot of uh, airtime around this, point, this time of year with it's obviously flu season, you know, the, the colder months, are people are more susceptible to developing the common cold. What are some things that people can take? Um, so first and foremost, it's, it's lifestyle. You know, before we start putting anything in our body, it's make sure you're drinking enough water, make sure you're getting enough sleep, having a, a really balanced diet. And balanced diet can mean many different things to different people, but having as many colours and natural things as you can. Um, in terms of supplements, you know, obviously vitamin C, 
Echinacea is great um, for boosting the immune system, particularly from uh, protecting you from the common cold. Um, multivitamins in general. Um, just be careful if you are taking prescription medications. If you're going to be starting to take um, any any of these things, um, you should always make sure with your pharmacist that uh, or your GP that it's safe. Um, but yeah, anything like that. But a, a really um, comprehensive diet, and it's very hard to do on a daily basis. It's really really hard to to have the the daily quotas of everything you need. But over the week, make sure that you're putting into your body all the nutrients that are there because it's all available to us. Um, so that's what I would recommend, Eddie. Amazing, man. And we touched a little bit before about sustainability and how we can, you know, strive for sustainability. And I guess that's every that's a big part of everything that I do through personal training, through the podcast, through my studies, through my overall lifestyle. I was trying to preach sustainability and trying to make people understand that, you know, longer progress and things that sustain a lifetime and making changes to their habitual behavior is is more beneficial to longevity and creating a better quality of life i just want to get your perspective of how important preventative medicine is for our future generations and and why we should start you know integrating both holistic and western medicine for a greater good um so we why we should quality of life is the most important thing It's, it's much more important than the number of years um that we're around for and you will feel where we all know uh, and it's intuitive and it's also conscious that if you're good and uh, you, you've got you know, it gives you some self-confidence that you're going to enjoy your life more so um to you don't want to be unwell you, you want to do whatever you can to avoid becoming sick and, and having a holistic approach to your own health um is is the key to that to unlocking that uh, for future generations as i said before we are trending towards a better understanding of these kinds of concepts I would say that I think that Australia is probably a little bit more resistance, resistant to change in that, in that arena compared to some other countries, like Germany, for example. Even New Zealand seems to be a little bit more progressive. Uh, so I think Australia has a little bit of ground to make up uh, in terms of at the healthcare level, in terms of people working together. But we are seeing a lot of uh, positive changes. Um, there's integrative, integrative doctors, integrative pharmacists. Those things didn't exist five to ten years ago so we are definitely tracking in the right direction uh, from a professional level um, and also on the community level but definitely a lot of lot of room to improve in summary for people that don't know what a integrative doctor is can you give us a, a little definition of what they are yeah so in simple terms um so you everyone we all know what a naturopath is uh, so a dietitian or these kinds of people that have a more holistic approach and embrace sometimes what are considered eastern approaches to health uh an integrative doctor would have Western medicine training and, and use conventional traditional medicine, but also integrate into their practice naturopathy or um, nutrition and other, other concepts. So, um, yeah, so it's, it is a holistic doctor, essentially. And, I mean, given, given what we're seeing in terms of the pattern and, and the adoption of uh, Eastern philosophies and over-the-counter herbal supplements and that sort of thing you know western medicine doctors traditional doctors have to have an understanding of those things because their patients are taking them whether they like them or not so if if a doctor's against it the patient and the patient wants to do it they just won't tell the doctor so we need to um you know and um, obviously there's exceptions to to the rule um you know most doctors are becoming more and more open-minded to that um and and that's really critical 
Phil, this has been an epic chat, mate. I've um, loved picking your brain about the role of a pharmacist and how we can integrate a, a more holistic approach and still, still give Western medicine the recognition that it deserves because there is so much science, there's so much resources, there's so many wonderful brains that are going into designing these um, forms of treatment. So I'd love to know your future plans with, with your life, obviously, with body fit, you know, you've just a first time first time dad as well, which is amazing to little Rafi. I'd love to know what your your future looks like over the next five years. Um, so we Christian and I would like to have um, another baby in the near future. So whether you know, whenever that, that happens, that would be great. So um, obviously I want to spend a disproportionate amount of time at home. Um, I've had a very busy twenty years, so slowing things down a little bit and I think I'm grateful in a lot of ways that I've been forced to do that at the moment because um, it gives me a chance to, to reflect on that and spend a lot more time with my, my son and my wife, which I've really enjoyed. Um, so, yeah, so that, that's the most important thing for the next five years. It's family. Um, but on a professional level, I want to continue down this pathway of, um, of this holistic approach to health. So on site here at Body for Training Brunswick, we've got some consulting rooms. So we're going to have some allied healthcare practitioners here, um, a physiotherapist, remedial massage, we've got a nutritionist, um, I've got a GP uh, as well that will come when I need him. Um, and that's just uh, for a number of different reasons. I want to be able to service the, the Brunswick community, um, but also for our, um, our clients in, 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 the tr in the studio and body fit training in that um, if they really want to, a lot of people come to us and they want to transform themselves and transform their lives. and getting out there and doing a body fit training program is a great start and it's critical, a critical component, but it's one part of the puzzle. So I want to spend my time um, developing that concept um, more and more and get to a point where we could provide a fully integrated program for someone, which includes um, you know, monitoring their diet and helping them with mindfulness and, and their training and um, you know, with the GP as well, that enables us to, to do pathology testing and you know, see if there are deficiencies anywhere and you know, really making an impact by having the resources under one roof, working in a collaborative way um, and including the exercise as well. So it's something that um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are others out there doing it, but it's something that um, I don't think there's enough of. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with the, um, the integration of all different, you know, um, healing modalities for lack of a better term and and how they can all integrate in one and have such a transformative effect so yeah i absolutely love what you're doing mate it's been a pleasure to watch your journey and and be a part of the space as well and yeah thank you so much for for coming on the podcast today before we go drop in a little plug mate where can people contact you and um any information that we've missed through the podcast as well um, so Body Fit Training Brunswick, we are on Sydney Road, 520 to 522 Sydney Road uh, in Brunswick. This is near the corner of Blythe Street. I um, have my, my office here as well, so this would be where you would find me if you wanted to talk to me about anything pharmacy related or um, Thrive IQ is the name of our integrative health hub here. So yeah, you would find me here. I'm here nearly every single day. Um, we have a website for Body Fit Training Brunswick. Uh, if you want to contact me directly, you can do so via email. 
which is phil with one L, P-H-I-L, at Pharnica, P-H-A-R-N-I-K-A dot com dot A-U. Um, and we'll be happy, we'll be happy to, to have a chat to anyone who's sort of got any, any passion or interest in this field or just wants a bit more information or wants me to point them in the right direction, uh, we'll be happy to do so. Yeah, definitely, mate. And it's really, really evident that you are really passionate about this field and you're really passionate about helping and, and making a change to people's quality of life and, and getting people enjoying, you know, the process a little bit more, which is really, really amazing. And I'm, yeah, grateful that we were able to connect, mate. Is there anything that we uh, missed in the podcast you'd like to add? Oh, probably many things, maybe. Um, and I'll think of them as soon as you've got your car and driven off. Um, nothing really comes to mind uh, straight away, mate, to be honest. Yeah. I think it's good. It leaves opportunities for um for future conversations down the track as well, mate. So thank you so much for your time, Phil. Really appreciate it, mate. Yeah, thank you for having me, matey. Looking forward to um, our next catch-up. Well, there you have it, guys. What an episode that was. I got so much out of that, and I hope you guys did too. I apologize for the sound quality in parts of that podcast. I hadn't received the stands for the microphone, so we were just going freelance and holding them up. So apologies on that front, but hopefully you guys got all the information that you need out of that episode. I hope you guys have a wonderful week and I shall see you in the next episode.